Hello, and welcome to Character in Action, the official podcast for the Seven Degrees of Change Foundation. My name is Matthew J. Norcross, and I'll be your host as we have the privilege of talking with decision makers from our community who are living examples of the character traits of the Seven Degrees of Change, which are empathy, respect, responsibility, fairness, trustworthiness, caring, and citizenship. These guests are willing to come in and explain how they live and show others by example to be a phoenix. These character traits serve as a basis of a book series I authored called The Phoenix, as well as a correlating character education curriculum developed in association with High Point University. Joining us is Dan Forrest, who served two terms as Lieutenant Governor of North Carolina from 2012 to 2021. His two terms, at least in my view, were those of great honor and integrity. His wife, Alice, homeschooled their four successful, now adult children, and she's also known for her sincerity, positive, and down-to-earth disposition. Dan currently serves as the CEO of Forrest Consulting Group and a senior advisor for Michael Best Strategies, LLP. As Lieutenant Governor, Dan served on the State Board of Education, where he supported school choice and, in turn, the Seven Degrees Foundation and its character-based mission. We are honored to have him join us now via telephone in Raleigh. Dan, thank you for being on Character in Action. Now, before we get started, do you mind giving our listeners some background about you, your family, your experience as Lieutenant Governor, and your current positions at Forest Consulting and at Michael Best? Yeah, uh, I'd be happy to. Um, you know, uh, Matthew, I um, grew up in a political family. So my mother, her name is Sue Myrick, but she was the first female of Charlotte, and then she went on to serve a number of terms in the United States Congress, so nine terms uh, for 18 years there. So I grew up uh, in, in a political family, but my background is architecture, and I was an architect for uh, over 20 years and became a senior partner in uh, the state's largest architecture firm and loved what I did, and then was uh, called out of that to, to run for lieutenant governor and serve the people of North Carolina. And so I was blessed to be able to do that for eight years. Uh, and um, I know we'll talk about some of that here today. And then I, when I got uh, done with politics after the governor's race that I lost, um, I had to get back to work. And so I opened up my own consulting practice and I have a variety of clients that I serve in a, a lot of different ways. So um, uh, a lot of uh, big name clients and some unknown name clients that I help uh, just basically solve problems and, and figure some things out. So um, I've been doing that now for two years, and uh, that's that's really how I transitioned along with doing some development work, uh, uh, building some houses with some friends, which is a lot of fun playing on my architecture uh, world and background. Um, and uh, so there's a big variety of things that I'm doing now. Quite an amazing so, career. Now, let's begin with respect. This is a key trait people of all ages need to learn, showing respect for yourself, others, and property. And you could say this has become a lost art. As a husband, father, business person, and former public servant, how do you think we can rekindle the tray of respect today? Well, I think, you know, one of the main ways we could do it is by 
uh, getting people off of social media. <laughs> I think that <laughs> you uh, lose a lot of respect for people when you don't have to face them. You know, you're not right in front of them. You can hide behind a computer or a keyboard or a fake name and you can say whatever you want. Um, you can throw out all kinds of horrible things about a person when you really don't know them. But um, I, I've always used this line. I used it with my staff as lieutenant governor and I still use it today. And uh, that line is everybody has a story. And are you willing to spend the time to get to know somebody's story? Uh, It's hard work. It takes time and energy uh, and sacrifice at times. But if you're willing to sit down with somebody and hear where they came from and what makes them tick and what they're what's important to them, uh, then you find out that we're all just human beings. We all really want the same thing. We want what's best for our family, our kids, our grandkids. Uh, we want to live in a city that's safe and secure. Um, you know, we want people to serve in those communities and in political ways because we don't want to do it ourselves. Oftentimes, we're thankful for that. Once you sit down and know somebody's story, uh, then you have a greater level of respect for them. But if you're exactly. to get angry and hide behind a computer, then I don't think you're ever going to see respect return. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. So. You were the second highest elected official in the state of North Carolina, moving on to responsibility, by the way. You were also the president of the Senate, etc. And part of that was passing laws that protect women and children, as well as an anti-boycott, divestment and sanctions or anti-BDS law. This was a great example of demonstrating the trait of responsibility. Tell us about that. Well, I think as an elected official, um, it's one of those things that a lot of people don't realize about taking office, but it sinks in really quickly, uh, that you really have the weight of the state or the weight of your city on your shoulders as soon as you get elected. So even as lieutenant governor, while you may not have all the authority uh, that you would like to have, um, you have a lot of responsibility. So when um, a member of the General Assembly or the governor is making a decision and that decision affects the people of your state, the weight of that decision really becomes your responsibility. You carry it that way. So you want to make sure that you're doing everything in your power to protect and to care for the people of the state uh, as best you can. So, um, you know, when you have a governor that was shutting the state and shutting down businesses and telling kids they didn't need to go to school because of COVID, uh, and you're causing all these kind of issues, things like what's going on behind the scenes when all that was happening, we're trying to make people aware of that. You know, there, there's suicides are going to increase and mental health problems are going to just, you know, rise that we're going to be taking care of for years and students aren't going to learn if they're not in the classroom and all these kinds of things. The weight of that is on your shoulder. So whether it was um, passing education legislation, making sure that um, we had school choice available to all of our parents out there, whether we were passing you know, anti-divestment uh, uh, bills or whatever it happens to be, or human trafficking legislation, all those things weigh on you all the time because they're really impacting the people of the state. And as a public servant, um, that's one of the toughest parts of the job. I can definitely see where you're going with that. So moving on to fairness, how would you define fairness and how would you want people to demonstrate this trait both in their professional and their personal lives. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, I think 
yeah, I know you can agree with me that life is generally not fair. And we go through life uh, facing all kinds of situations that you look at and say, you know, those, those things aren't fair. But if, they, if we look at it um, from the standpoint that we're striving for truth and justice, um, that we're striving for um, not equality, uh, but equal opportunity for everybody. Take education as an example. You know, if all things aren't going to be fair in education. Some kids are dealt a pretty tough blow with the parents uh, that they have and the family that they grow up in or the community they grow up in without resources. Uh, but to the best of your ability to provide equal opportunity for a student to get an excellent education so that uh, they can go on and have a productive a life and be a productive citizen and all those kinds of things. I think that's the way we're supposed to look at it. So what is the truth? What's the truth about education? What what um, does justice look like from the standpoint of a young person in our state today that doesn't have certain opportunities? How do you, you know, how do you define those things? So, uh, you know, fairness is um, probably misconstrued by a lot of people that they think everything needs to be egalitarian and equal and and that sort of thing. But I think to the best of our ability, truth, justice, and equal opportunity for everybody. Couldn't agree with you more. So let's move on to trustworthiness. Nowadays, this has become yet another lost art, especially in our government and in our institutions. How do you define and live out trustworthiness? And more importantly, how do you instill it in others? Mm. That's a good, that's a good one. Um, I think you said it. it's like, how do you live it out? You know, what kind of example are you setting for people when somebody trusts you? It's because somewhere along the way you earned their trust. Trust isn't just, you're not just born with it. It's not just automatically given to somebody. It's because of the way you act. It's because of the way you treat somebody. It's because of the way you uh, listen uh, to somebody. And if, for example, you know, when I was Lieutenant governor, um, lieutenant governor was not a position of power, as you well know. It's a position of influence. So in order to be influential in the world of leadership and government, you have to build trust. And that's done over time by caring for people, by listening to them, you know, by making sure that um, when they say something, you understand what they say, by making sure that when um, they ask you to hold something in confidence, that you truly do hold it in confidence. All those things end up, um, you know, building trust over time. And then when somebody trusts you, then they're willing to do about anything for you. And uh, so, yeah, it's a lost art, but we're a bunch of individuals today. We focus on ourselves more than we focus on the people around us. And um, so that trust is just being, you know, being torn down. But it's, it's, not a hard, it's not a hard thing to build back. You just got to take the time and energy to do it. Yeah. Trust is definitely something you got to earn, and um, listening is definitely a key term. Definitely a key term. So, moving on to caring. As a public servant, you were once billed on social media as someone who, quote, cares about the well-being of North Carolinians, unquote. But my question to you is, how did you demonstrate that act of caring for the people of this state? Uh, well, um, I hope. Yeah, you know, my hope would be, Matthew, that people knew when they met me, met my wife, met my family, that they really did know that we cared about them, that we were listening to them, paying attention to their needs, that we're trying to do our best with our limited capacity to help in places that we could. I think maybe the best example uh, was during COVID. We were 
we were in a race for governor, but I was still lieutenant governor. And we saw, you know, when um, the governor was shutting down restaurants all across the state and, um, you know, businesses were closing down, we saw the need to go out and spend time with people. So my wife and I, I literally got got on the road while everybody was kind of locked down. We traveled around the state and we would meet with like restaurateurs who, you know, had, they owned their own business and they had no business. They're trying to serve people curbside and, you know, take out those kinds of things. But they were literally losing their business. And so we would show up and we'd listen to them. And then we'd hand them a check. And sometimes it'd be $5,000. Sometimes it'd be $10,000. And we, we did that out of our campaign funds while we were in the middle of a campaign. A lot of people said, you're crazy to do that. You, know, you shouldn't be doing that. But we saw that as the greatest need in our state at the time. And the people, would they talk to us and they say, we're going to be fine. We're going to be fine. And we'd hand them a check and they'd break down crying. I mean, the little husband and wife teams, whatever, they just break down in tears. And it happened multiple times where the people would say, we didn't know if we'd be able to keep our doors open another day, but this will allow us to keep our doors open. And so it's those kind of things where, you know, you just see the need um, and you just go and join in and do whatever you can do to help. And it looks different to different people at different times, but that's how it looked to us at that, at that point in time. Quite an amazing story. Um, I remember how a lot of businesses were struggling during that time of COVID. Very sad. It was. So um, my final question to you is, how do you believe people across the state and this country as a whole should demonstrate empathy? Well, I think, you know, we, we may have hit on that a little bit under the caring section there, but um, it's a lot like caring. <laughs> empathy and, you know, sympathy would be, you know, I, I feel for you. I'm sad for you. Empathy would mean, boy, I really know what you're going through. I've been through something similar. I can really relate to you. And so in a lot of ways, this wraps up, uh, you know, some of the other things we talked about too, um, you know, about how you listen to somebody, about everybody having a story. So um, truly understanding, you know, where somebody's coming from and, you know, having a desire to carry their burden with them. That's really what empathy is. Empathy is a tough gift. If you have the gift of empathy, if you have like the spiritual gift of empathy, if you will, then <laughs> well, that, that's a really tough one to have because you see burdens and you actually do help you know, carry those burdens along with somebody. And again, in a world where we're so self-focused and so self-centered, I don't think it's that people don't care. I think that it's that they have so many avenues to check out now that they don't have to. You know, we're bombarded with the problems and the cares of the whole world on 30-minute uh, news cycles. So every 30 minutes, we get a new tragedy, a new thing going on in the world that somehow we're supposed to care about and take care of, and when we really can't. But we can look to our neighbors. We can look to the person right next to us. We can look to our coworkers, um, and we can look just to those around us that are hurting and say, where can I join in? And, uh, you know, where can, where can I help out? And so, yeah, it's about you care enough to carry somebody's burden and carry somebody's pain with them. Well, before we close, do you have any final thoughts to share to our listeners? Well, you know, you know, a lot of this, uh, Matthew, is wrapped up in, from my perspective and the, the world of uh, government politics and serving the people and you know, there are people that will be listening to your show that say, I want to get involved. I want to be a part of serving. And I would just encourage anybody that feels led to do that, to do it. Um, you know, 
people look at me daily and will say things like, hey, you're going to run again. And uh, you, you, we really need people like you. They say stuff like that. And I say, well, we really need people like you, too. If you care about America, you care about your state, your city, your town, your school, then we need people like you. We need people to step up and to be engaged you know, for these very things that you're talking about. You know, if you want to see respect and responsibility and fairness and trustworthiness, caring, you want to see those things elevated and you're that kind of person, then, then get engaged and do your part. You're not going to be able to solve all the problems. In fact, many of the problems you may end up solving may get overturned and go the other way at some point. But for the period of time where you're called to do it and you're in charge of doing it, step in and step up and, and uh, serve the people around you. All right. Dan Forrest, former lieutenant governor of North Carolina, architect, CEO of Forrest Consulting Group, and a senior advisor for Michael Best Strategies. Join us today from Raleigh via telephone. Dan, thank you for joining me. Matthew, thank you so much for having me on. Hope you have a great day. You too. Now, to learn more about the Phoenix Book Series and the curriculum based on it, visit our website at 7degreesofchange.org. I'm Matthew J. Norcross. Thank you for listening, and always remember, everyone can be a phoenix.